Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. There are a lot of myths about the church and money. And, you know, the Bible speaks about money. It speaks about possessions uh, thousands of times. In fact, it might even surprise you to learn this, that Jesus spoke about uh, money in probably nearly half of his parables. And so, you know, I just think it's a super important thing for us to learn about. And so this whole series is really about debunking some of the myths that are out there. And I want to share a myth with you today that I've heard before. Uh, maybe you've heard it before as well, but it's a really important one uh, that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say the church just wants your money. The church just wants your money. Have you ever heard that before? Well, I can tell you this. I have definitely heard that before. And uh, I just think, you know, we, it's something that we want to probably address as a church. Let me, let me start by sharing this. A couple of months ago, it was Easter. We were able to do church. We, um, you know, gathered together. And we put out the invitation to a lot of our community to come along to church. And we had so many people that had never been to church before come along. And, you know, if you've never been to Bright Church before, firstly, uh, I'm so glad that you can join us online and I hope you can join us in person soon. But when you arrive at church, we do it in a warehouse. And so, you know, as you're driving down to church from the outside uh, looking at the church from the outside of the building, it honestly just looks like a warehouse. And I would say inside it actually looks pretty cool. But, you know, as people arrive, they don't expect that there's a church in there. And so we had a lot of guests come and we had a few people walk into probably, it's probably maybe the first time that they'd been in a church. And so they walked in, they saw our foyer and they thought that was pretty cool. And they said, hey, um, can I have a little bit of a look around here? So one of our team decided that they were going to take them and give them a a guided tour. And they took them and showed them all the kids' facilities and the kids' rooms that we have here. And they thought that was pretty cool. They took them and they looked at the parents' room. And so we have a parents' room that's sectioned off. And it's got a live feed from the service so that you can still bring your kids. And, and, you know, if you have small children and, and watch the service live. And so they saw that. They said, wow, that's pretty cool. And As they're walking back out, they said, hey, what's in this room? And they said, oh, well, that's the auditorium. I mean, this is where we normally do church. They said, hey, can I have a bit of a look in there? Our team said, yeah, sure. They took him inside and they had a look and they saw everything that was here. And they said, wow. They said, this is so cool. They said, they walked out of the auditorium and they said, all right, I'm in. I just think this is so cool and I'm in. So how much does it cost? How much do I have to pay to to come here. The person on our team said, you don't have to pay. They said, church is free. You you can just come along to it next week. And they said, it's free? Our team members said, yes, just free. Just, Just come along. They couldn't believe it, right? I think that that is such a sweet story. And you know, sometimes the truth is, is that we have just been around church too long And you forget the people that have never been to church before, they don't know how it works. Maybe they think that you do actually need to pay to come here. But the truth is, church is free. I mean, it cost Jesus everything to start the church. He gave his life for the church. But to come along on a Sunday, it's free. So I guess I understand the myth when people say, 
that the church just wants your money. But there are parts that just don't make sense to me, things that I don't completely understand. Like, for example, who is the church? And I'm not joking. I mean that honestly. Like, who is the church? I mean, if you look in the scriptures and you read what the Bible says about church, it uses the word ecclesia. And that is God's called out community. It is His people on planet Earth. And that is the church. So who is the church? Well, to be honest, it's millions and millions and you know, even billions of people on planet Earth. And I don't know if we could put a circle around all of them and say that they just all want your money. So maybe it's actually something that's more directed to, I don't know, maybe leaders or something. So how does church work? All right, well, let's get practical for just a moment. The church is all of God's people led by some of God's people. And if you look in the scriptures, we see different spiritual gifts and different leaders of the church. And so if we read the scriptures and understand it, we have something called the ascension gifts or the office gifts. And so what do we have? We have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And those are the office gifts. And those are the gifts that normally uh, will lead the church. And then there's a whole bunch of spiritual gifts. And I think this is really important to understand that, you know, if you're a person who has a relationship with God, you may have ministry gifts and you have may have spiritual gifts and all of those things are important. But the office gifts are the ones that normally lead the church. So who is the church? It is all of God's people led by some of God's people. That's how it practically works. It just makes sense. So let me get a couple of things really clear and help us to understand and unpack how the church actually functions and operates. So I want to talk about three things. First, I'm going to talk about things spiritually, and then I'm going to talk about things economically, and then I'm going to talk about things theologically. So let's talk about spiritual for just a moment. The, the, probably the most important thing that you need to know is that God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. In fact, the scriptures will say all kinds of things. It says things like he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is another way of saying, hey, gosh, he just owns everything. It all belongs to him. And he doesn't need your money and, and he doesn't collect it so that he can spend it in heaven. Come on, he's not collecting currency from around the world. No one's dropping Cash in heaven, at least not that I know about. I doubt it. I doubt that God is collecting currencies from all over the world and then spending it in heaven. It just doesn't make sense. So God doesn't need your money, but I'll tell you what God does want. He wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. And He has ways of figuring out if He has your heart. And He'll look at three things, I think, primarily to understand if He has your heart. First of all, He'll look at how you spend your time. If you look at your time and you break it up, how much is devoted to Him? How much is devoted to His cause and His purpose and what He wants to do on the earth? That's the first thing. How much of your talent would be spent you know, pursuing God and, and helping build things and build His kingdom and extending His kingdom? He'll, he'll look at how you use your talents and he'll look at how you use your treasure. And he looks at those three things. And if you haven't listened to last week's message, you need to go back after this and listen to that message, right? But he looks at how people use their treasure. And from these things, he determines whether he really has people's hearts. So come on, like spiritually, God doesn't need people's money, but he absolutely wants their heart. Let's talk about economics for just a moment. You know, I don't think it's rocket science. It makes sense that 
Money allows the church to do things that they couldn't do without it. Money allows the church things to do that they couldn't do without it. Now that just makes sense. I mean, this is just logic. I don't really feel the need to really talk too much about that. I feel like everyone would get it. It doesn't matter what you have. If you cut off the supply of resource to anything, it's not going to go really well. And so what is that resource used for? Now, that's a really great question. And, you know, if you look at what the church does, it's on mission. In fact, you know, at Bright Church, let me just tell you what our mission is for just a moment, because this is really important. We want to see people know Jesus, find freedom while they're living on earth, be discipled and make a difference with their life. And so that's our mission. That's our purpose. And we will go after that. And so when the church is well-resourced, it can go on mission. And not just mission, just locally, but even send missionaries far and wide. You know, if you've, if you've ever gone on a missions trip or spoken to a missionary that has had to spend time on the other side of the world, trust me, they love it when the church is resourced economically so it can support them as they minister and preach the gospel to cultures that need to hear it. So there are some really spiritual things that the church can do when it has those resources. But come on, let's get practical for just a moment. I mean, gosh, we live in Melbourne. Now, this morning... Most of you were probably sitting back. I've seen the comments. Some of you are in your PJs right now, sitting back and watching church. But don't get too comfortable because as soon as we can, we're going to be back at church. And when we do that, that means we have to come out in the middle of winter in the city of Melbourne and we have to gather together to do church. And thank God we have a building that we can sit in that has great heating, if you haven't been here before, where you can get warm and grab a coffee and some of the practical things. And there's like power and electricity and and and. You know, I mean, a lot of these things are practical and they just make sense. So economically, the church can do better things when it is well resourced, right? And I want to speak finally uh, about the third thing, which is theologically. Theologically, we need to understand something about God and the church. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, It is through the church that God wants to be made known. It's through the church He wants to be made known. Listen, there is no other organization that God is looking to and saying, could you advance my kingdom? Could, could you represent me really well? I mean, there's lots of ministries out there and parachurch organizations that I will agree are valuable. But biblically, he said, I will build my church. In fact, Jesus said the only thing he was going to build was his church. And His church's primary focus and the primary thing that we're supposed to be doing is advancing the kingdom of God by preaching the gospel and sharing that incredible, life-giving and inclusive message to the world that needs to hear it. That's what we're pretty focused on. In fact, if you were to go to any parachurch organization, some missions-based organization, and you said to them, hey, is it more important to give to your church or to this organization? Any missions organization worth their salt will say you need to support the local church first and then you support parachurch organizations second. All of them would say support them second. And the reason why they would say that is because they know the power of partnering with a strong church that's economically resourced so that they can do what they 
do really well. It all just makes sense. So, you know, I, I get this myth, the church just wants your money, and I, I still, I guess I understand it. Parts of it don't make sense. We need to break down who the church is, but I don't know exactly, I guess, who it's really leveled at. Like, I, I wonder to myself sometimes, is this leveled at like a denomination of, of Christianity? Is it leveled at a particular churches or maybe particular pastors or, or around the world? Or is it, is it leveled at like maybe some weird TV ministry that you've seen or something. I am also very aware of the irony of saying this to you on your screens right now. I get that, right? But, but there is a lot of weird stuff out there, right? So is that what it's about? Is it, is it leveled at uh, volunteers? Is it leveled at just believers? Like, I, where does it actually stop? Here's what I think it's really doing. It's, it's the myth is putting a circle around the whole church and calling the, the whole church greedy. That's what it's really saying. If the church just wants your money, then that would just make the church greedy. And that's a major, major problem. Because we have a word for that. It's called materialism. And the Bible says that that is a sin. That'd be pretty bad if the whole church was primarily focused on something that was completely wrong from a biblical perspective. It wouldn't make sense. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you out of Proverbs 28 verse 6. It says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who was crooked in his ways. You are better off being poor and having integrity than being rich and not having integrity. Titus 1.7 says this, And Paul the Apostle wrote this as a checklist, part of a checklist for people that were meant to lead the church. He calls them overseers. It says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. That means that you are unaccusable. People can't really point to stuff in your life and say, look at this and look at that. And he gives us a bit of a list. He says, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. You can't be greedy for gain. So what is that saying? It's saying that whether you're an individual or whether you are a leader, greed is wrong. Greed is a sin. So how does this work, you know? Well, you know, as a church, we ask the church, in other words, ourselves, because it's all of us led by some of us, we ask ourselves to give financially to the church, which again is ourselves. And the question is, why would we do that? That's the right question. In other words, what is the motive? What's the motive behind asking churches or people to give? I don't know about you, but I have, like you probably, I have seen TV evangelists, saying things on screen that probably turns my stomach a bit and is unimaginably embarrassing where I just feel like saying, please stop, please stop, please stop. You know, like I, I've seen that. But you know what I've discovered 
is that not every sporting club is the same. You go to different sporting clubs, there are different cultures. Uh, not every job is the same. How many of you have worked for an organization and it wasn't right and so you left and you worked somewhere else only to find that, you know, you still do your job, but you do it somewhere else and it's completely different and it works. Well, let me tell you something, not all churches are the same. So I don't think that we can circle the millions of believers or even the leaders and say, hey, it's all the same. Let me give you a bit of a reality check about what it means to be a church. There are nations around the world where if you were to be part of the church, you lose everything. Christian people are persecuted all around the planet simply for their belief in Jesus. And should they profess Him publicly and say that they are part of the church and confess the gospel, the fact that Jesus came and died for their sins and forgives them and wants to give them new life, a fresh start and live in eternity with Him forever. Come on, that's a great message. But if they admit to actually being connected to that message and connected to the body of believers that we call the church, some of them in countries around the world are killed just for believing it. They lose access to medical aid. They lose their homes. They lose things all around the world. And why would they continue to pursue that gospel message and be part of the church at the risk of losing everything? It's because in their hearts, they have a conviction that this message is the most important message that the world could ever hear. And so they continue to pursue it. Let me give you a, a bit of a reality check about the church in Australia. Did you know the average church in Australia is about 80 people? It's about 80 people, give or take. And the average church in Australia is completely under-resourced. I mean, I don't know if you've ever served on a church team or been part of a church team or whatever, but most of them are under-resourced, doing everything that they can. I mean, sometimes you have no idea. Churches around the world and in Australia are trying to hold things together with duct tape. It's all behind the scenes, stuck together, trying to make it the best experience possible for people that come into church for the very first time, right? And they're trying to pull all the resources they can, scraping together what they can to pay staff and pay bills and continue to be able to have a platform to preach this message. I mean, that's the reality check for most churches, right? So, so if this idea that the church just wants people's money, if, if, if this is the way that people have come up with or, or the church has come up with this idea of church as a way of making money, firstly, they are failing on an embarrassing scale. Like hopelessly failing. The vast majority of churches are not in that position that would align itself with the myth that we're hearing today. You know, I can tell you, this is not just like, you know, statistics or information. Let me just get personal with you for just a moment. In 2009, I was working in recruitment, you know, and that's like 12 years ago. And so here I was doing well, and I was probably earning about, a, I don't know, maybe 120 grand a year. I was, you know, earning 120, but things were looking up. It was going very well. And my pastor came to me and he said, I want you to quit that job 
and I want you to come and work for me full time. I said, how much does this job pay? He said, it pays 45,000 a year. I said, okay, I'm in. You know, now financially, that sounds like kind of a dumb move, right? Just to double down on that, the same month that I quit my job and started working at church, we had a baby just to add to the mix. So my wife, Sarah, you know, she's you know, quit her job and we have a baby and a new income and trying to make our mortgage payments and everything. Why would we do that? You know, I, I know that I don't represent every Christian, but I know a lot of Christians that would do exactly what I did. Why would they do that? Because they have a heart for God, because they love God the core of what the church is really about, which is the gospel. And because of that, they happily and willingly will sacrifice. I mean, this is the foundations of our faith. If you read the scriptures and look at how the early church was formed, most of them, right, they gave up their properties. It says that they came and they sold their possessions and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did they do that? No one told them to do it. No one forced them to give. No one forced them to sell property or to give up their possessions. They did it out of their hearts because they believed that this message called the gospel was worth giving everything for and they pursued it with all of their hearts. And I've learned it to be true that people that pursue this message, this important message with all of their hearts will do a similar thing. See, I have a little bit of a counterclaim. The myth is, is that the church just wants your money. Here's my counterclaim to that. People that really want to hold on to their money will tell themselves that the myth is real. And they'll say that the church just wants your money to absolve themselves of the responsibility of having to give so they can keep everything that they've got and feel good about it in their hearts because they choose to believe the myth because they just really want to keep everything that they've got. Now, I'll put a little bit of a disclaimer on this. I, I understand that there are probably people out there that want to be generous and they want to give, but they are just not in a position to be able to do that. And that's a completely different type of or group of people. And the reason that they're different is because their heart is right and they want to be able to give. They just can't. That's very different from the people who can and willingly choose to believe something that enables them to not give and feel good about it. It's a totally different group of people. Listen to what the scripture says. Matthew 6 verse 19 to 24. There's a little heading at the top of my Bible that says, lay up treasures in heaven. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen to this, verse 24, very important. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you know how God will figure out 
who the master is in your life. He will look at how you use your time. He will look at how you use your talents. He will look at how you use your treasure. And those things will be greatly indicative of who really has your heart and who really is your master. And we've just got to see this as it really is. And I don't expect non-Christians to get this. They don't believe what we believe. They don't believe in the gospel. They don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead or life after death or living eternally with Jesus. So they're not going to understand this. But if you're a Christian person, you should start to get this stuff and really understand it. You know, years ago, when I was on staff at this church, and we had a crazy thing happen. We take up the offering one day and somebody decided that they were going to put a note, a different currency into the offering. So the offering is taken up. And when we do this in church, by the way, we don't expect non-Christians to contribute to that. We don't even expect you know, guests to come and contribute. It's just, you know, if this is your church, you support it. It makes sense. So, you know, we take up the offering and they look and we get this note. We're looking at it during the week and I have never seen a note like this in all of my life. I've never seen so many zeros on a note before. And it was something like a, you know, $10 billion note. I didn't even think that you could have it. I thought it was a joke. It looked like Monopoly money to me. And so we said, well, you know, we might as well find out if it's worth anything. So we go down to the bank and I won't tell you which bank it was, but I'll tell you it was a big one. And so we go down to the bank and we slide this note across to them and we said, we just want to know if this thing is real. And they take the note and they look at it and they say, yeah, this looks real. Let's, let us have a look at this and we'll come back to you. So they're back there doing some things and trying to figure it out. And they come back to us and they say, this note is real. This is real currency. And we say, oh, okay, well, uh, I don't know, it looks like it's 10 billion, whatever that is. So how much is it worth? And they say, this note is worth a few million dollars. And when we heard that, we were like blown away. Like there was a lot of high fives and this is a total game changer for a church that's trying to start out. We we're pretty excited about it, you know? And we said, well, you know, give us the few million dollars. And they said, oh no, they said, See, the thing is, is that this country, this African nation, they said economically it's so unstable right now that we wouldn't be prepared to do an exchange on this, on this note. We said, well, how do we get the money? And they said, well, what you got to do is you got to travel to this other nation. You're going to have to take this note into one of their banks, exchange it there, transfer the cash back to us, and then catch a plane home. So we were like, this is an adventure. Like, this is kind of scary, exciting, but okay. We're like, well, who's going to go? It was going to be me. So, so I had this vision of me with a briefcase and a handcuff attached to my wrist, attached to the briefcase. And I'm going to, you know, fly to Africa and land in some country and, you know, go to the bank and cash it and get on the plane, fly straight back home because it sounded too dangerous to stay there any longer, right? So, so we start to make plans. What are we, how are we going to do this? How's it going to work? But this is very exciting. We had to go back to the bank for another reason. But the next time that we went back, it was like they recognized us or something. They said, hey, you guys, you guys brought that note in. 
the one that we told you was worth a few million million dollars. We said, yes, yes, that's that's us. And we were we had been making plans about how to get across to, to Africa. They said, well, they said, we just want you to know something. Um, our systems are a little outdated here. Like we didn't have everything up to date with our systems. So I got to tell you the truth about this. This country actually changed their entire currency over to US currency. Uh, that note that you're holding right there, that is worth absolutely nothing. And we went from holding a note that one day was worth millions of dollars and the very next moment it was worth nothing. And as disappointing as that might have been for us, the truth is it was a great lesson about reality. Because one day, everything that we have and everything that we hold will be worth nothing. And I don't know when the day will come and you don't know when the day will come, but we look at what we amass, maybe our wealth, our resources. One day it's worth everything to us and then anything can change and suddenly it's worth nothing. And all you will have is what you did with it while you were here on earth. And why do I say that? Well, because it's important to understand that when we sow into the kingdom of God, even though we go to spend time in eternity with Him, what we did with it can last well after we are gone. And to me, it just makes sense that if we understand that we are just here for such a short time, I mean, come on, let's get a reality check, everybody. We are on earth for just a short time. I think, you know, what, 80, 90 years, maybe. And then you spend eternity in heaven. And if you sow it into the kingdom of God while you're on earth, it'll continue to reap benefits long after you're gone. There is a compounding impact that you get by investing early and not investing late. And so we take every opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God to make a difference because I don't hate to tell you that you can't take it with you. You can't. You can't take it with you. In fact, how about this? In 1323 BC, King Tut, Tutankhamun, he was about 19 or 20 years old and he died. And they buried King Tutankhamun with all of his wealth and they put all of the resources and, and, and gold and everything into his tomb because they believed that what you were buried with, you could carry into the afterlife. And so they were, he was buried with all of his wealth. Well, in 1922, they discovered, they had already discovered the Valley of Kings, but in 1922, they came across Tutankhamun's tomb and they opened it up and guess what they found? They found all of the money that, and the, all, the, all the gold, all the wealth and everything that he was buried with. Yep, you betcha. It was all still there. And in less than 12 months, they emptied the tomb and carried all of those priceless possessions out of it and put them in museums and other things. And you hear that little story about Tutankhamun and you go, that's crazy. Everyone knows that you can't take it with you. And what I'm saying is, as the church, we should align ourselves with the very things that we understand are true.
If that's true, then what we should do with our wealth, instead of going to the grave with a lot, we should do everything we can to sow into something that will store treasure in the time to come and reap benefits after we are gone. It just makes sense. That's how the people of God are supposed to think about their wealth and their possessions. And and get this, right? I never expect, I never expect a non-Christian person to understand necessarily everything that I've just spoken about. Because if you don't believe in God, then what I'm saying wouldn't make sense. But here's what we should understand. That if you are a God-fearing, Scripture-loving, Bible-reading person with a heart for God, then part of what I'm saying should just make sense to you. See, the truth is, The church doesn't want people's money. It wants people's whole heart to be devoted to God. It doesn't want their money. It wants their whole heart to be devoted to God. We want to see what Jesus gave His life for to make a difference in the lives of millions of people around the world. We want to see the gospel advance and set people free and see their lives change and watch them become a new creation and find freedom, not just in eternity, but freedom while they are here on earth. We wanna see the kingdom of God advance and we wanna see a world where people aren't enslaved to their materialism and their wealth and their resources. We wanna see people put Jesus on the throne of their heart. The problem is the message that we give offends people who want to hold on to their resource. It offends people that want to hold on to their money. And it makes sense because Jesus said in the Scripture I just read to you that you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. So it just makes sense. Ask someone who's devoted to their money to part with it and they totally freak out. They don't want to part with it and they look for something to believe, to absolve themselves of the responsibility of having to give so they can keep what they've got and never feel guilty about it. The truth is money reveals your master. And if you want to find out Because you may not even know who your master is, but if you want to find out whether it's money or God, do this. Honestly, like just do an audit of your bank account and, and look at your bank statement and see where all of it goes. And if you look at where it all goes and everything's being devoted to you, you know, even if you're being generous, I guess, to other organizations, but you're not actually giving towards God or advancing the gospel or even giving to the local church. It might be an indicator of what's been happening in your heart. Do you know something that I think is really funny? Is that Maccas want your money and they're not shy about it. KFC wants your money and, and, and you eat it one day and you feel sick the next for having bought it, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Apple, they want your money. Uh, 
Nike, Nike wants your money. It's all right to own a MacBook. There's no problem with that. It's all right to buy shoes. That, that's fine too, right? All these people, they, they want your money and, and no one's got a problem with it. And the reason why they don't have a problem is because they normally like what they get in exchange for what they give. So they give money and they receive something in return for that and they're happy with that exchange. Which makes me think that if as Christians, all we want to do is help to build corporate companies because we like what we get in exchange with them, but we do not like what we get in exchange for our sacrifice for the kingdom, it makes me think there is a heart issue there that needs to be solved, that needs to be resolved. Churches don't want people's money. We want people's whole heart to be given to God. And that eclipses their time. It eclipses their talent. It eclipses their treasure. The truth is that if you give your whole heart to God, normally your, your money just follows. It's always been that way. The early church, churches around the world, because the people that believe in this message really believe that it's worth giving everything for it. So money is easy. I want to pray for people today that maybe you have believed the myth, the lie that's not true that the church just wants people's money. It's just not true. We wanna see people know Jesus. Maybe you've just, even in this message, realized that money has your heart more than you realized. Well, I wanna pray that what we get is certainly not my perspective, but we get a biblical perspective, that we get an eternal perspective, that we catch what Jesus said In the scripture I just read about having either one master or the other. And we recognize and we realize when our wealth or our possessions have got us, it's okay to have things. It's worse and horrible when those things have you, when they have your heart. So let me pray. Father, I just pray for everybody right now who in their hearts, they do love you, but they feel the wrestle, they feel the tension about giving. And they maybe have believed things that aren't true. God, maybe they haven't recognized the core mission of the church. But Father, I pray that whatever our own personal experiences have been, that God, we don't drag those things around forever. Maybe for some people today, they they have had a bad experience in another place or they've seen something. But God, I pray that that doesn't form their worldview or biblical view or cultural view of the church today. The Lord, that they be able to move past some of those experiences to recognise that Jesus, you said, I will build my church. You gave everything so that you could start the church. You gave your very life for it. And I pray in the name of Jesus, that God, every believer, not just at Bright Church, but every believer on the planet would recognize the importance of sowing and investing everything that we can into your kingdom. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. 
We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.